career from the sermon series 2020 Discerning God's Will in the New Decade, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. What if God, what God has for you is actually greater than what you have for yourself? And what if the words spoken over the prophet Jeremiah are actually true for you as well? When the Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And the truth is, these are actually not hypothetical questions. God's plan and purpose for your life really is greater than what you can design for yourself. He is your creator and the author of your life, and the book he has written for you includes participation in his grand plan, the expanse of which you cannot even begin to fathom with your finite mind. History proves that when our lives are submitted to the will of God, he will use us for his glory. David was a forgotten shepherd boy, overlooked even by his own father. And yet God chose him to be a king and a warrior. Esther was an orphan girl who probably thought the only thing she had going for her were her good looks. And yet God elevated her to queen and used her to save a people from genocide. The disciples were outcasts, smelly fishermen, hated tax collectors, doubters, and betrayers of God. And yet God would use them to propel his gospel message to the ends of the earth. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., if you know his story, he just wanted to preach at a small, be a pastor of a small congregation in Georgia. And yet God would use him to push this country towards racial equality. And if you saw the movie Just Mercy, then you've heard the story of Brian Stevenson, an attorney and a Christian man from a poor community in Delaware, but God would use him to literally set the captives free and to teach this country about justice and mercy. And just last week, Pastor Dan introduced us to a guy named Jerry, just a guy in finance who God would use to ensure that hundreds of boys would hear the gospel message. God had more in store for these men and women than what they thought possible. And often when we think about discerning the will of God for our careers, we're thinking about how we can make more money or how we can get a promotion or how can we own a business or become president of our place of employment. But rarely do we go to God with the heart of a Mary saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me trusting that God's plan for our lives is perfect. We've been talking about discerning God's will for our lives in this new decade, and today we are dealing with the topic of careers. We're answering the question, what is God leading me to? Or or, what is God's plan for my life? What does God want me to do? And apparently this is a question on everybody's mind because I have had no less than three conversations about this very topic this week alone. And the conversation is not just for those who consider themselves young, it's for those who are a little bit older than young. That God still has a work and a purpose and a promise for each one of us. So the best way to go to look for this is, of course, God's word. So if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. 
Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And it reads as follows. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Did you notice how clear Jesus was about his mission? Wouldn't you like a bit of that clarity? How do we get it? How do we discern God's will for our careers? Now, let me tell you, there isn't a formula. But there is a way that we can position ourselves, a way of living that leads to greater understanding. So the first way we discern the will, for, the will of God for our careers is for us to understand that life is seasonal. Life is seasonal. We aren't necessarily going to be doing the same thing forever. Let's look at verses 32 through 34 and then verse 38. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus spent some time at Simon Peter's home, healing people within the village of Capernaum. The next day, however, Jesus knew it was time to move on. Where you are today is not necessarily indicative of where you'll be 10 years from now, five years from now, or even at the end of this year. Just like calendar years, our lives are seasonal. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 reminds us there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. And it goes on. The point is that God has designed a time and a season for everything. And one of the first things we have to understand about discerning the will of God is discerning his timing. Because there are two important nuances of timing to consider. One is being too early. The signs of this are usually impatience or frustration. Sometimes we move too quickly, or we actually think that God is moving too slowly. Maybe God has told you that he's moving you in a different direction, or maybe you just want to go somewhere else. Where you are going 
may be clear, but this may not be the right time. David was anointed king when he was a child, but he didn't actually become a king until he was 30 years old. The promise had already been placed over his life and the calling to be king was clear, but it would take time. Jesus was 30 years old before he began his public ministry, even though he was the promised Messiah from birth. And his ministry only lasted three years. And during that time, Jesus often talked about whether or not it was the right time to reveal himself or when was the right time for him to die. Seek after God, not just for what he wants you to do, but when he wants you to do it. Don't become frustrated because where you are is where you don't want to be. Yes, maybe you are the best person for that promotion, but maybe this just isn't the right time for you. Seek the Lord about his timing. Now, the flip side of that is overstaying. Sometimes we can become too comfortable in our present situations that the idea of moving on paralyzes us. We overstay our time in a certain place. Jesus knew when it was time to leave Capernaum. When I was younger and I would go to my friend's house, my mom would always give me a time limit. She said, don't overstay your welcome. And her point was that, Although these people like you, that's why they invited you over, they want to hang out with you, that doesn't necessarily mean they want you to be there all day long. The same thing with preaching. You all like to hear a great sermon, but at some point you want the pastor to sit down. (laughs) Timing is everything. By nature, I am loyal. And, And once I'm comfortable somewhere, I don't necessarily need to move. I'm a creature of habit in many ways. But I've noticed that in God's grace, when he wants me to move on, he will keep bothering me until I do it. He will unsettle my spirit and it remains on my mind no matter what I'm thinking or doing. Has that ever happened to you? That you just can't get comfortable until you do what God is telling you to do? Restlessness in your spirit may be a sign that your time where you are is up, or at least it's coming to an end. And when that happens, go deeper with God. Don't refuse it. Seek after him for the perfect timing. My father stayed in the same job almost his entire working life. Once he became a plumber and joined a union in New York, he stayed there until retirement. But the truth is, most of us won't live that type of life. We may change careers multiple times in our lives, and that's okay if you're following the will of God. He may lead us to stay, he may lead us to go, but either way, we need to be willing to be obedient. And the wonderful thing about God is that nothing is wasted. That degree in art history, that major in economics, that first job in in IT, None of it is wasted in God's economy. The Bible is clear and it is true that all things work together for good. God has a way of bringing it all together. This is just preparation for what is next. That's the redemptive power of God. We can discern God's will for our lives when we recognize that life is seasonal. Now, the second way we can discern God's will for our careers is to be willing to resist the crowd. 
Be willing to resist the crowd. Trust me, everyone's got an opinion on what you should do with your own life. Look at verses 35 through 37. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, the disciples are looking for Jesus, and this is not just like walking around. They are frantically searching for him. The four of them find him, and when they do, they don't just speak on their own behalf. They speak on behalf of everyone. Everyone, they say, Jesus, is looking for you. The point is that there are crowds of people seeking after Jesus to be healed. Even the disciples are wrapped up in the urgency of the crowd. Imagine the pressure Jesus must have been under. The disciples are coming on behalf of groups of people in need of healing. Their concerns are so important and so urgent, and Jesus has to decide if he is going to be pulled away by the urgency of the crowd to stay there and heal or leave and do what God is calling him to do to proclaim the gospel. Jesus had to know how to resist the crowd. And it's because he knew his purpose. Now, let's be clear. This is not saying that Jesus does not care about our needs. Not at all. What it is saying is that we have to learn how to prioritize. Jesus is demonstrating prioritization. Has your day ever gotten away from you so much so that you're like, I have not gotten anything done on my to-do list? Or maybe years have gone by and you look up and you're like, where has the time gone? I never took that class. I never learned that language. I never followed my passion. Jesus demonstrates that our main priority, even over the urgent need of a crowd, is to pursue God's purpose and God's plan for our lives. But it wasn't just this crowd of strangers. Even the disciples The disciples wanted Jesus to take advantage of his growing popularity. They wanted him to perform more miracles. Here he was doing what no one else could do. The people are are flocking to him and, and they're saying, why would you stop now? But Jesus refused to let even their opinion change his priorities. The people closest to him didn't even understand him. But Jesus would not be drawn away from them. He would not be drawn away from his purpose by them. Jesus had chosen the disciples, and they had been following him for a short while, but they didn't understand Jesus, and they didn't understand his mission, especially not now. But the truth is that even throughout Jesus' entire ministry, we see that that the disciples never get it right. They don't want to hear about Jesus dying. And only Peter seems to have the courage to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. And right after he makes that declaration, Jesus chastises him and rebukes him, calling him Satan and a stumbling block because Peter does not recognize that Jesus will have to die for us. The disciples are confused about his parables and and they don't quite understand when Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They don't quite get that Jesus says that me and the Father are one. They don't understand Jesus until the resurrection. I'm telling you this because if it happened to Jesus, it can happen to you. 
even your closest friends and family may not understand what Jesus is calling you to do. Even those who have journeyed with you your entire life may not understand the choices that you may have to make to follow God. Even those who are good, God-fearing, faithful people may not know what God has said to you. And you've got to determine to resist the pull of the crowd, no matter how well-intentioned those people might be. Now, there is one exception to this, if you are married. If you are married and both of you are seeking after God's will, God will reveal to both of you about important changes in your life. Look at Sarah and Abraham, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. God first spoke to one, but he did speak to the other. And if God is calling you to make a drastic change in your life, know that in time he will reveal it to your spouse. And while you're awaiting, pray for God's revelation to come to your husband or your wife. Because the two of you must move as one. But it is the case that oftentimes our friends and our family do not know or understand where God is leading us. And this can be difficult and terrifying, but it is so necessary. It is to help us develop our own spiritual footing and to be able to trust our relationship with God without having to compare it to someone else's or rely on someone else's. Sometimes we try to sidestep this crucial lesson in our discipleship journey by relying too heavily on other people. Right? We go to the people who have prophetic gifts. We go to the people who we think have a closer connection with God to tell us what God is trying to say to us. But trust me, God speaks to you. And going to someone else should only be confirmation of what God has already placed in your heart. Maybe he said it through prayer. Maybe he said it when you were reading the Bible or, or where a sermon hit you or a song. Or maybe you were just living your life out in the world and God spoke to you. If we are going to discern God's will, we have to let go of the crowd. Now, I know this can be hard, especially if you are a people pleaser like me. And statistically speaking, I know I'm not the only one in this room. (laughs) We care too much about the opinions of others, and we seek affirmation by doing what they ask of us. This can be very dangerous especially when we are putting the will of men or women above that of God. Paul asks us this question in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul makes it clear that seeking to please people is going to put you in tension with Jesus Christ. You cannot serve two masters. And I know it's hard, especially when it's with your parents. More than anything else, we want to please our parents. When I decided to follow God's call to enter ministry, it was very hard, especially dealing with my father. He was more invested in me becoming a lawyer than I had ever realized. 
And he had a hard time understanding where God was leading me. I had a hard time understanding where God was leading me. And so I finally went to see my pastor at the time and I came and I was in tears and I was crying because since my mother was deceased, my father was my only living parent and his opinion actually really mattered to me. And so I shared this with my pastor and I told him that my father didn't support me. And what did my loving pastor say to me but so what? I was furious and I couldn't believe that he would say that. It felt callous and it felt cold. And while I still think he could have said it a little bit differently, I get his point. I am not called to please my earthly father. I'm called to please my heavenly father. And this might be hard to hear for children and for parents, but it's the truth. Our purpose is to fulfill the purpose of our Heavenly Father. And so when your parents ask you, what are you doing with your life, or express disappointment, or doubt, or anger, or frustration, but you know that you are following the will of God, you need to let them know that the best way you can honor them is by honoring God the Father and following His plan for your life. And parents, Please don't put that burden on your children. Yes, you can have dreams for your children and you should equip them from adulthood, but know that your plans and your dreams come secondary to that of God's. Remember that your child belongs to God and the greatest prayer you can pray for your children is not that they fulfill your dreams, but that they fulfill God's calling on their life. Believe me, it's torture to feel like you have to choose between your parent and God. But I'm telling you now that if you do that, you, may be, you need to be prepared to lose. We are called to put God first, even if it means resisting the crowd, even if it means disappointing your parents. So to discern the will of God for your career, you must understand that life is seasonal, be willing to resist the crowd, and finally, to seek the God thing, not just the good thing. Seek the God thing, not just the good thing. Healing people is good. Delivering people from demons is very good. But that wasn't God's plan anymore for Jesus in that space. Jesus's purpose wasn't to just be a miracle worker. It was to be a redeemer. Healing and delivering people are good things, but these good things were actually a diversion, a diversion and a distraction from the God thing. Jesus wasn't just to be a miracle worker or a healer, but to be a proclaimer of the gospel message. In verse 34, it tells us that Jesus drove out demons out of the people, but told the demons not to speak. And did you ever wonder why? There's several reasons why. First, Jesus needs to demonstrate his power and authority over the demons. Even they have to obey him. Second, he wanted people to know that he was the Messiah, not because of what he did, but because of what he said. 
And third, he wanted to reveal his identity as Messiah according to his own timetable, not that of Satan's. And finally, Jesus knew that Satan just wants people to follow Jesus for the things that they can get from Jesus, like healing. Instead of coming to the Son of God, who can truly set us free. Being recognized as the Messiah is a good thing. And Jesus will later accept this answer from Peter and because of this confession, allow him to be the head of the church. But the revelation of Jesus as a Messiah cannot come through the mouth of a demon. It is good to be recognized as the Messiah, but it's not the God thing unless it's done God's way. Jesus will push against the potential fame that he could have had because he understood that healing and delivering are not to impress people, but it's to point people back to the gospel message. Staying around Capernaum and healing people day in and day out would have been an attractive, less costly way of life for Jesus. And it would have demonstrated a good amount of God's power and authority. And I'm sure the temptation was great. I imagine it was just like when Jesus was in the wilderness and and Satan says, I promise I'll give you power and authority. I think it was just like when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's arrested and he had the opportunity to just walk away, to not turn himself in. He could have let Peter kill them all or he could have called down the legions of angels. That would have seemed like the good thing for me to in my opinion, to avoid death. But that's not the God thing. And if Jesus hadn't chosen the God thing, we would not be saved. Often we get caught up in the good things while neglecting the God things. This has grown to be a key question in my decision-making. Is this the good thing or is this the God thing? Because many of us have matured enough that we know what's evil. We know what's bad. That's not the issue. The question is, are we wise enough and discerning enough to seek after and follow the God things in life? I used to wrestle with God a lot about my calling from law into ministry because I didn't want to be one of these corporate lawyers making a ton of money. I wanted to do civil rights work. And I knew that this was good work that was needed. The work I wanted to do was good work, but it wasn't God work, not for me. God was calling me to full-time ministry. That was the God work. And it wasn't the God work because it's so obviously God-centered. It's the God work because that was God's plan for for my life. And the God work for you is the plan that God has only for your life. That may be staying in your corporate office and being an influencer and and finding ways to impact your coworkers or your clients with God's love. It, It may mean mentoring younger associates or speaking up on behalf of other people. It may mean using your money to support good causes or it may mean a career change and downsizing your life and and taking a pay cut to pursue where God is calling you. Too often, we get caught, caught up in the busyness of good work and we neglect the God work. 
Discerning that will be key in moving in the direction God is leading you. Seek the good thing, not just, seek the God thing, not just the good thing. Because undergirding all of this was Jesus' clarity about his purpose. Jesus understood his purpose. He recognizes that his primary vocation is to proclaim the gospel. He says, that is why I have come. This was the purpose for him leaving heaven and coming to earth. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good, the good news. This was his proclamation back in verse 15. This was his assignment to declare the kingdom of God and himself as the way of God. He was to let people know that he is the son of God and that he is their savior. The healings were only to point people back to his preaching ministry. It was not to be the heart of his ministry. The signs, they were to be signs and seals of the gospel message that the gospel really is true. The miracles were to point back to the power and the sovereignty of God, not to be what we focus on. Jesus understood that proclaiming the gospel brings deeper healing. It's not just physical healing when you encounter the living Christ, but it's a healing of, of spirit and of heart that is found through repentance and faith. This is the message that Jesus needed to tell people. And without preaching, the message would be lost. Jesus understood his purpose, so he was able to discern and to understand that his life was seasonal, that he could resist the crowds, and that he could seek after the God thing, just not, not just what he thought was the good thing all because he was purpose-driven. And now, the answer to the question you have all been asking in your head, what if I don't know where God is leading me? What if I don't know what God is calling me to do? How do I figure that out? Well, I'd like to give you a formula, but there really isn't one. But I can tell you that it starts by doing what God has already called you to do. It starts with prayer. And it starts with reading your Bible. And it starts with tithing. And it starts with forgiving. And it starts with loving your neighbor. And it starts with visiting the sick and clothing the naked and caring for the poor and elderly and bringing justice to the oppressed. The truth is our greatest vocation is to establish God's kingdom on earth. That's what we are called to do. We are always to be working to expand God's kingdom. And if that's the case, Maybe the question shouldn't be, God, what is your will for my life? But rather, God, how do you want me to expand your kingdom? And this is not a declaration that you're signing up to full-time ministry, unless that's what God is calling you to do. Instead, it's a posture of submission to the will of God in your life, knowing that in whatever arena you find yourself, in the hospital, in the bank, in the school, in the courtroom, shuttling your kids back and forth in the neighborhood carpool, your mission is always the same, to establish God's kingdom on earth. Everything else is just details. The only way to know what God wants you to do is to talk to God. Unless you're willing to give your time to seeking God, you will never discern where he is leading you. Look at verse 35, excuse me, verse 38. No, 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 I'm sorry, I was right, verse 35. 
Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Underline that verse. Highlight that verse. Jesus prayed. Jesus communed with God. If we want to discern the will of God, we must pray. It's just that simple and obvious, but it can seem so overwhelming and for some maybe even hard. But even Jesus prayed. And if the Son of God, who lived a perfect and sinless life, who had the mind of God, had to pray, how much more do you think we have to pray? Private prayer was Jesus' source of strength and renewal and confirmation of purpose. Jesus prays because he's still human. He is participating in communion with God. Here, he receives instruction and he voices his obedience. It's through this time of prayer that he's able to discern that it's time to move on to another village. It's through this time of prayer that he gathers the strength to resist the crowd. And it's through this time of prayer that he discerns what is God's thing and not just the good thing. Our time with God is to refresh us and empower us and give us direction and wisdom and discernment. Time with God helps us refocus on his priorities. Prayer sets the agenda for our days and for our lives. And we will not be fulfilled until we are consistently and constantly moving in the direction of God's purpose for our lives. And the only way to discover this is through prayer. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to cost you time. And it's going to cost you sleep. And if you include fasting, it's going to, include, it's going to cost you some food that you like to eat. It will cost you video game time and time with your friends. It's going to require that you be alone. And it may not happen immediately but it comes through an ongoing relationship with God and yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's revealed over time through consistent prayer and obedience to what he's asking you to do today. And even the timing for when God reveals his purpose to you is perfect. But if you are truly serious about discerning God's will for your life, you have to go to the giver of life. You must go to your creator. Paul reminds us that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Only God knows what he has created us to do. He created you in your inmost being and knit you together in your mother's womb. He saw your eyes, his eyes saw your unformed body. All the days ordained for you were written in his book, before one of them even existed, why wouldn't you go to him for your answers? You cannot overlook or diminish the time with God in prayer. That's where you'll receive your answers. Now, many of you know my story. I was in law school when God spoke to me and revealed that he wanted me to enter into ministry. But it happened during the season of Lent. And I had devoted myself to prayer and fasting during this season. Um, but, but God didn't tell me to give up food. 
He actually told me to give up TV. And that's what I did. Because the extra time actually gave me more time with God. I was taking in so much information from school and I would get home and think that TV was a de-stressor, but it was actually filling my mind with more words and more noise. And so God needed my silence and my solitude. He needed an uncluttered mind that would come from some, some silence and some breathing room and through prayer. And it was in this season of, of relative silence and solitude that God spoke the words ministry to me. It didn't come right away, and it certainly didn't come with a handbook. <laughs> Just the word ministry and confirmation in my heart. For me, the timing was all wrong. I was in my last year of law school. But in fact, the timing was just right because it was before I started my career and before I moved to DC the way I had planned to do. God was telling me that it was time to move on. And many people around me were confused. I was confused. They loved me and they loved Jesus, but they had no idea what God was saying to me. And while everyone had their opinion, in the end, the only opinion that really matters is that of God. And I had to learn in this season to trust my relationship with God and resist the desires of those around me, even the people who loved me the most. My dreams were good dreams, but they were not God's dreams. And yet nothing was wasted. I don't practice law, but I regularly aid people when they're in difficult situations and help them navigate the legal system. I help them understand the criminal justice system. I help people when they get these forms and contracts from the government and they don't know how to read them. I'm not a civil rights lawyer, but I'm the pastor of justice, advocacy, and compassion. And I spend my life preaching and teaching about God's love and God's justice and God's mercy. And God has all somehow brought it all back together for me my heart and his dream, and I love it. Because my greatest purpose in life, more than the details of how I live it out, is to please God. And it's to trust God with the timing, with his word over the words of the crowd, and with his plan even over my own plan. These are lifetime lessons that have to be implemented often, if not daily. So, so we constantly are saying yes to Jesus every single day to pursue him and his will every single day. So when we ask the question, do you really want to know God's will for your life? Do you really want to know how you can expand God's kingdom? You have to seek after the only one who knows. The one who said, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. So instead of me praying, I want us to take just a few seconds to really think about whether we really want to serve God and whether we really want what he wants for our lives and then after we do so, we are going to pray a prayer together. This is a prayer that was um, written by John Wesley. He, is the, uh, he began the, the Methodism tradition. 
So I'm gonna give you just a few seconds of silence and then we are going to pray this prayer together. Would you pray with me? The words are on the screen and pray aloud with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven, amen. So we know that the sermon doesn't just stop when we say amen. There are some next steps we want to take you through. So if you would bring out your, your Metro app or turn over to the back of your communications card, I wanna take you through a few next steps. Number one, I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. Now maybe you've never done this before but you somehow know that God has a plan and purpose for your life that is more than what you think. And the only way to do it is to get to know him. And if this is you, if you've never made that confession before, I invite you to check that box off and meet us at the next table right outside those double doors where you'll meet with someone, we'll tell you more about Jesus. Number two, I will increase the amount of time I spend in prayer daily by 50%. Now, if you're at zero, let's start with five minutes. But if you're at five minutes, let's go to seven and a half. Right? If you're at 10, let's go to 15. But let's start to increase our prayer life. Number three, I will patiently, humbly, but intentionally seek God about his will for my life. I know it's hard and I know it can be frustrating to wait, but there is purpose even in the waiting. And so ask God and patiently wait for his response. Number four, I will spend one hour in silence with God this week. Try to carve out just one hour this week where you can spend with God. Number five, I believe God is calling me to blank. Some of you say you don't know what God is calling you to do, but you actually do know. You're just too afraid to admit it. Maybe you're afraid of the choice that you'll have to make or the changes you'll have to make. It helps if you write it down and it helps if you pray with someone about it. Number six, I will attend the Martin Luther King Community March and service tomorrow, beginning at 9.30 a.m. The information is on the website in your bulletin on the app. And number seven, I will give generously to the Christmas offering. God is trying to do something in us in this new year, in this new decade, and we want to be a part of it. So we don't want to just stop at the sermon. Let's take these next steps and see where God will lead us. Amen? Amen.